I think because entertainment is so much of a person, who do you know, there is definitely gray areas where it's, mm-hmm. you're alone in this trailer together. Like, you know, you're doing these other things like, you know, and that's why, at least for me, like I try to maintain a professionalism, like yeah. a friendship level that like, okay, this is cool. Like not trying to cross any lines and, mm-hmm. and out of, you know, if Harvey Weinstein is the one in the spectrum to like realize, okay, there is a line like air on the side of not Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Episode of Interstates and Heartbreak. I'm so excited. Today, my guest is a friend from UCLA. And so he's a pretty big deal, actually. You may have heard of some of the shows he's written on. I don't know, like Family Guy, Fresh Off the Boat, Dead to Me, Nora from Queens. He actually just got a Writers Guild Association nomination for Best Episodic Comedy for that show. So I just had to have him on the podcast before he became too famous and forgot about me and about our Dinners for Call Strangers experiences. So welcome, Kyle. What's up, Leslie? How are you? Great. So excited to be doing this. So excited to be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Big fan of the show. You kill it. Uh, A fantastic host. That Um, means a lot coming from you. And especially because you are one of the funniest people I know. Oh, well. This won't be this. The funny thing is that this is going to be a serious podcast. This one, so <laughs> no laughing allowed. No after laughing this. allowed. This is actually just all dramatic. Yeah, I'm, I'm dipping into drama with this. <laughs> you know, you have to get a creative outlet after being on shows like like Family Guy, etc. Yeah, yeah. Change of tone. So I have to ask. First question: What did you do to celebrate your nomination yesterday? Ah, uh, what did I do? I worked on a script, which oh. is super fun. But then luckily, I'm sure we will get into this later, but my girlfriend uh, decided to take me out. We went to Italy, had that, went to actually back to UCLA, stomping grounds, had some Diddy Reese. You can never go wrong with that. Um, and then of course, uh, you know, back to the crib and had some Hennessy. So. Wow. You know how to celebrate. Yeah. have to keep it real, you know? <laughs> never um, forget where you came from. Never forget. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing up in the Players Club on... 959 Gailey. You know? Oh, my God. I mean, I guess it's easy to forget if you black out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That was Leslie and I's college uh, experiences for everyone. Yeah, so a nice throwback. Kyle has seen some of my more interesting decisions over the years. <laughs> <laughs> um, Leslie quickly edits all this out. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The people deserve to hear the raw background of our story. Yes. So it stays in. That's true. Um, so yeah, that's super exciting. How did you find out about the nomination? Also, is this your first big nomination? Yes, for sure. First big nomination. But obviously, first and foremost, it's funny because Episodic Comedy Award goes to like one writer, but like, obviously, there's like so many people that are involved in this. So it's like, I know my name is on the title page, but it's so much like... I would not be here without the staff of Northern Queens, obviously Nora herself and, you know, like 
all the creators and everybody. So this is one of the, the bigger ones. But how did I find out? I found out because I was literally, I'm working on this directing gig coming up. And so we were literally prepping, resuming, and all of a sudden my phone buzzes. And like my friend Shane, we we're in this like Hollywood group together. He just texted me like, oh my God congrats on the nom yeah i'm like what the fuck you know so like as i'm also on a zoom i'm like reading it and then i'm just kind of like no like he's he's literally fucking with me like like this is a joke so then like as everyone else is talking i'm kind of like kicking and then i look and i see you know wj award and then i look i just scroll scroll to get to episodic comedy i'm like i actually see my name and i'm like holy fuck (laughs) and i I did have to excuse myself from the zoom and kind of like absolutely if you control yourself yeah so it was fun though and and cool and then it was confirmed after like really seeing and then like i sorry like more legitimate sources not not at shane (laughs) it's not legitimate yeah but like just there's more people that confirmed what shane had claimed to be true so it was crazy it was yesterday so i still can't fully grasp it and i don't know if i ever will yeah i mean it's that is huge it's like that is such a career defining moment and i feel like Mm -hmm. we should back up a little bit because you know because that was the peak we went to the climax and it's literally all downhill from here here. but i just feel like you know i always like introduce this as like a podcast about like the shared experience of dating in la and about the unglamorous side of dating in la but i'm like you're now like the glamorous side oh my god (laughs) yeah after many of bad years so you know shout out to we'll just say her name dini that is my girlfriend right now and yeah it's weird to be the boyfriend guy i'll be honest you know that's like my brand now for all of my coworkers and stuff and so uh it's weird but yeah we here now when you say that's your brand is it just kind of like oh everyone who is working with you identifies you as being in a relationship yeah i think before it was like oh kyle's so fucking single (laughs) kyle is like dude he where were you at last night west hollywood you were over uh venice what were you doing oh like being drunk and like hitting on people and swipe in mm-hmm. that was it's kind of hard to break out of that mold too when everyone's just like oh like what are your dating stories like what's yeah, going on in your totally. dating life and you're like well i am a taken man now yeah. and especially as like a young writer like a lot of the times you know things you can contribute to a room because usually in writers rooms you know the, the higher more experienced writers talk more and they're the ones kind of leading the charge but like what as younger writers you can contribute are like fun stories and like things that happen that everyone vicariously lives through you (laughs) and dating stuff so now in your 30s just like oh i'm like taken and and happily with somebody it's like oh you're fucking boring no one wants to hear that yeah like oh everyone is especially in comedy everyone no one is happy and so it's just like oh if you're in a if you're in a happy couple it's like oh you're so lame no content yeah yeah. My mom was listening to a recent podcast and she always has a lot of feedback, which mm-hmm. I appreciate. She's like a very blunt person. Yes. And she was like, yeah, if people were listening to that, they would be really happy that they weren't on the apps. And I was like, honestly, that's kind of the point. Like, I don't know. It's, I feel like it's kind of fair. You have to share those like negative experiences if you're living through them. Mm-hmm. At least get some laughs out of it. Yep. And that's if you're not dating for laughs, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, it's all fun. I know. I was... When I had Arielle on the podcast, we swiped together. I actually didn't end up airing it because it turns out... I was going to say, I don't think I've heard that one. It wasn't... It's not really engaging content when you can't see what you're swiping through. Oh, for sure. For sure. But it was funny because she's like, oh my God, this is going to be such a fun game. And then she's like, (laughs) just kidding. It's not a game. It's your life. (laughs) (laughs) But it does feel like that sometimes. Thanks, Arielle. 
Um, so I would love to dive in and hear about what it's like to work in a writer's room overall, because I feel like, you know, we all have our preconceived notions about what it might be like and would love to hear how much of that is true, um, how much might be unexpected and different from what people would think it's like. Sure. It's exactly what you imagine it to be. No, I mean, I think it's at the end of the day, it is a job. It is, you know, what people come into work. Same things like some people are going to be pissed someday. Some people are going to be happy some days. But where I think it differs than most jobs is that, you know, we get paid to tell jokes and to be silly and to like pep up our energy or like smile and like try, at least for comedy rooms, you know, try to come up with the most creative and funny ways to accomplish the task for the day, whether if it's a story or a joke room or something like that. And so, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing, but every day is a little bit different, but We just try to come up with stories and jokes. Hopefully that is a good answer. Yeah, I guess so. The closest I've ever been to this, Mm -hmm. and it's not close at all. I'm not trying to make the comparison, but just to show how far removed I am. So when Kyle and I were in college, we had this event called Spring Sing. And so my senior year, I was on the Spring Sing Committee. It's basically like a student run, um, like, I don't like a singing competition and talent competition. In between the talent acts, you have company, which is a group of comedians who will do like pre-produced and live sketches while like the stage hands are kind of changing things over to entertain the audience. And so being the company director was so fun, but I was like, I've never been around this many funny entertainers before who are like performing and used to that. And I was just like, wow, it's like a very different energy than I think the people who I typically hang Mm -hmm. out with, like on a regular basis. And so I wonder, is it kind of like that where like everyone's always on and like always cracking jokes, like even if it's not just jokes for the actual script? For sure. And I think shout out to UCLA, shout out to Spring Sing and company, because that is for me, at least where I feel like I realized, oh, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Like I knew I was going to be film, entertainment, TV, directing, writing of some capacity. But I think like every kid growing up that wants to be, it's like, oh, I'm going to be a director like Spielberg or something like that, or like Tarantino and just like have my own films. I'm an auteur. I'll do this. <laughs> Excuse me. We're having beers. Yeah. Um, but um, it was company where I realized, oh, we're sitting around the table, a group of people pitching ideas, trying to like in some ways, one up one another and like mm-hmm. see what's the best joke that's going to land or what's the best sketch. And obviously, like, it's like a college version of the writer's room. But like mm-hmm. the, the concept is very similar to a writer's room where mm-hmm. you, you are sitting around a table, you are uh, trying to accomplish a goal, a story, a something and like, you know, working as a team to find the best way to do it. And so, uh, yeah, I'd say that's comparable. And even in, in company, I think like some of the dynamics of a real writer's real professional writer's room kind of trickle into that where you have in real writer's room you know a a showrunner or a executive producer who kind of is more in charge of head honcho and you're is kind of leading the charge and then you know as the hierarchy goes down you know to even the bottom level writers who are just like there to like sometimes just add diversity or sometimes like just add like jokes on these certain things and so yeah everyone has a role to kind of play in the room and like it and just trying to collectively use a shared mindset to you know make the best show possible yeah hopefully yeah definitely it's it must be so much fun like i just imagine we were kind of talking about the fact that now you're virtual how has the dynamic shifted and like how much more challenging does that make your job for me i don't like it um i had not some writers enjoy it uh mm-hmm. especially ones that have kids and yeah. and things like that because for commute wise, obviously it's way better. Like you just mm-hmm. turn on the computer, you go and usually the hours are now 
because everyone hates Zoom. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you just <laughs> sign in up from like, you know, whatever, 10 a.m. to like noon. And they're like, okay, go do these assignments in the afternoon and I'll see you tomorrow. Oh, you know, interesting. Versus okay. if you're in reality and in real life and meeting, sometimes you meet at 10, but then like, you know, let's drag it out because if we stay longer, there's dinner. Or like, you know, <laughs> some unhappy upper level writers, you know, don't want to go home to oh. see their significant others. So it's like, you know, we'll like just stay. Yeah. And then so I think it's a more efficient room obviously virtually but i do think like there is a bit less of that magic because mm-hmm. inherently with zoom you you kind of there's only one person that can talk right because yeah. it's just like this is who we're listening to there's no like side banter there's no like you can't like just hop in uh, immediately and like realize oh leslie's about to say something because her like i can read her body language yeah. i can see that she's trying to say something yeah virtually it's like no one is like standing out because it's yeah. just like oh you're just a big mix um the worst but yeah, logistically, it's super cool. Mm-hmm. I love not commuting. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, that's true. There is always a positive and like, that's probably the only positive on my end too. It's like yeah. not commuting from the West Side to Glendale, right. but I still miss it. You do? Yeah. Would you go back to office life when, if and when it comes back? I definitely would. And it's funny because we recently had a, we have like these all hands meetings with the company and this one was COVID themed. Mm -hmm. And so we had our crisis management VP and we had someone who actually works in healthcare and like (laughs) they were there to explain the vaccine and like dispel any myths and like assuage people's doubts about getting it. Well, you get superpowers if you get a vaccine. (laughs) I know. I wish they were like taking questions like that, but it was all very much very, you know, the things you would expect. So before going into this meeting, I kind of had like, not a sense of panic, but for context, I've never gone in for the job that I have. Like I started remotely. (laughs) So what if they're like, oh, you're coming back in like three months. And I was like, how would I feel about that? But then when they said the opposite and they're like, we have no idea when you're coming back. I was like, oh, damn it. Damn. Yeah. So yes, I would go back. I, I think it's hilarious to like starting a job digitally and then like meeting in person later Mm -hmm. you're like oh wow leslie you're like your legs are way longer than i thought they were gonna be you know (laughs) yeah random things like that there's like oh you smell you smell different than i imagined you Um, or like you don't know how tall anyone is right right with zoom too it's like oh if someone changes their background it's like a fucking huge deal huge deal and it's like that defines you and it's like oh we should like consider our our like backgrounds Mm-hmm. You know, in our brand. A hundred percent. Yeah. And like, it's funny too, because like, you know, there are those meetings where, well, probably not for you, but for me, there are meetings where people join without their camera because it's like, there's 40 people. It's right. like someone sharing out. And so the picture that I have on my Zoom, it was from when I was at a wedding. And so my hair is blown out. <laughs> I have fake eyelashes on, full makeup, <laughs> like earrings. And then I think my coworkers are probably like, what the fuck? Like, she doesn't look like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> She looks better than that. Oh, <laughs> that's very kind, but definitely not the case. Interstates and heartbreaker. <laughs> Leslie Grant. Wow. Please cut that joke. That was uh, not funny. Oh, we'll see. Maybe I'll cut it. Maybe I won't. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so in terms of, you know, like I mentioned, you've worked on a variety of shows and I know they are all within the comedy genre, but I imagine there's still like a varying tone and environment of each writer's room. So I'd love to hear kind of about how those have differed from assignment to assignment. Yeah. Well, I mean, Family Guy and Dead to Me are like exactly the same. So uh, that's it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, I mean, I, I think those two probably are the, the most different, obviously. And it just goes to, the, you know, what the culture is of that show and what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I think a show like Dead to Me 
obviously is tackling some tough stuff. You know, it's, it's about grief. It's about loss, about forgiveness. It's about all these other things. And so some of those emotional points, like we're getting into the weeds of these personal stories of people and like, how, how did you feel when you lost your mother? How did you feel? You know, like, Mm -hmm. and like, it's not like, Oh, this is a time for a joke. It's like, Oh, empathy is what you need right now. You know, versus family guy, you have, (laughs) Oh, Peter is watching a chicken stripper strip and then like (laughs) ejaculate an egg onto (laughs) a a window. Like, you know, it's a totally different tone. Yeah. So I think it goes, you know, people fall into the right rooms that they're supposed to. And I think it just matches Every writer should be able to read a room and be able to know, okay, like this is the time to like be silly or we're being more somber at this point and like be able to adjust overall. But as far as this like tone of pitching jokes and stories and stuff like that, I think, you know, uh, work on Fractal Boat was illuminating too because that's a broadcast show that, Mm -hmm. you know, coming from the world of Fam Guy and even Dead to Me at that point and Northern Queens, all those are either late night or streaming or, you know, cable shows. Mm -hmm. And so you can like drop F-bombs and you can Mm -hmm. like say you know, nasty things. But then you have Fresh Little Boat where it's like, oh, this is a family show. So yeah. it's like realizing what the joke is and then like being able to like make it family appropriate or ABC appropriate for your pitch to actually land, hopefully. So I think it's like knowing what you're doing, knowing what show it is and hopefully like pitching to that and making sure that, you know, your tone is aligned with what the obviously the showrunner wants and what the show is dictating. Mm-hmm. And do you find that the different tones of the show also attract different writers? Like, do you have, like, very notably different gender and age breakdowns based on your assignment? Absolutely. I remember the first time I went into the, well, let's say, like, Family Guy, when I was there, it was around, like, 20, 25 writers, and everyone is a dude, you know? Wow. All straight white dudes. And then the most dramatic change was I went to Dead to Me, which is essentially all women, except to male writers but totally different room and like the first day of that to me it was like liz the showrunner and creator of that show like literally asked like so tell us about you tell us about your feeling like you know it was literally like and i was like coming from like the frat house of family guy i was like what the hell like you want to know how we're all doing like you want to know how we're it was such a different tone and change both work obviously depending on your show but yeah, I think obviously a show that is about female friendship is going to attract a different mm-hmm. brand than like a show that loves roasting celebrities and <laughs> uh, other things like that. And so, yeah, absolutely think the show tone attracts different people. I feel like that's a testament to your versatility. The fact that you've been on such different shows, like... Do you have, I mean, I'm sure it's hard to pick a favorite. I'm sure they're all like children, but do you have like an experience that you feel like aligned most with your personality or one that stood out as most positive? For sure. I mean, I can't not say, you know, Nora from Queens, I think in this moment, just because I do think obviously they were the first show to give me a shot and let me write a script and promote me to a professional writing level. So... I tip my cap and I'm forever, literally forever thankful for that opportunity. But I think like it made sense for that show and me because I do feel like out of all the things I worked on, that is the show that I align with most as Mm -hmm. far as internal comedy and just like what the show is about. Fresh on the Boat, obviously on paper, I kind of am Eddie Huang, you know, like Mm -hmm. hip hop loving kid going through life in the 90s and early 2000s. Like that's for sure me. But with North from Queens, we can dip into a little bit more raunchier stuff and like Mm -hmm. and a little bit more modern and, you know, a little bit sillier and almost in an animated way. Like a lot of the jokes that are 
pitched and, and even the show itself like mm-hmm. is out of this world and super heightened so and I think mm-hmm. that kind of lies more in my humor so in experience wise like the episode I wrote for season one of Northern Queens was grandma's story of how she met the grandpa oh. and it was told in a like flashback Korean drama kind of style but what was cool about that it was like it was so heartfelt for me because if all the Asian writers especially in the room talked about like their family experience and like yeah. I've never thought like oh my family experience would be you know, quote unquote, valuable in a writer's room like this. And so I was mm-hmm. able to express like, oh, how like some of my family members like had to swim across like rivers and streams and o- oceans to like get to freedom and escape yeah. communism, you know, and, like we use that in the show and we yeah. did different things. And so it, that was like the kind of moment when I was writing that episode that I was like, oh, like this is not obviously my family story, but a lot of immigrant stories especially Asian Americans to showcase, yeah, like what our crazy elders did to get to this country. Yeah, that's awesome. And I feel like that is really, it's something that I've really focused on over my media consumption, because as we've aged, you know, I think that representation has clearly become much better over the years. Like I think about when I was a kid and it's like, okay, the best representation we have is like Proud Family and like Fresh Prince. And honestly, Fresh Prince was amazing. So that's pretty great. It was very progressive for its time. But I feel like, you know, shows like that, that I felt represented myself and my experience were few and far between. And I'm curious. Leslie's from- black, by the way. If anyone is <laughs> curious. Oh, I wasn't going to tell anyone. Oh, <laughs> I'm Asian. So. Yes. Yes. That's important context. Keep forgetting it is not a visual medium. Yes. But I'm curious to hear your perspective of how Asian relationships on screen and like depictions of Asian Americans on screen have evolved and kind of like ways that you gotten to impact that narrative. Absolutely. Obviously, I think the stereotypes of Asian Americans have been long written about and uh, documented for many years of, you know, obviously men especially have been emasculated and never a leading man. But I think like we want to hit that on the head with Nora from Queens and especially the Grandma and Chill episode that I was fortunate enough to write where it's like, yeah, we're going to have sexy Asian dudes. Fuck it. Like we, I know a bunch of sexy Asian dudes. All the other writers here have met a bunch of sexy Asian dudes. Let's fuck, just you. fucking, okay, well, thank you. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sexy. This is not a visual medium for a reason. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a bunch of hot Asian dudes. So let's fucking showcase them. And so I think the, to your point of like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Proud Family, the great things about it is that it gives depth to a stereotypical African-American character, right? Mm -hmm. Will Smith showing his vulnerability, but he's from the hood, but he's also like, can, you know, make it in this Bel-Air area. Like that's, Awesome, right? Similarly, for Asian Americans now moving forward, it's like, okay, we all know there's crazy rich Asians now, but Mm -hmm. like, what what's after that? Like, are we all super rich? Are we Mm -hmm. all like immigrants? And I think that is part of at least my story and my journey of like being able to tell you know deeper stories than just these like immigrant things, which obviously a lot of us come from immigrant stories, but you know there is an Asian American narrative that I don't think we have necessarily tapped into yet and you know Nora from queens fresh of the boat starts starts tapping on the glass but i think there's a lot more to explore there's so much to explore not only in the sense of like okay we want to touch on these really heavy issues of identity which is very important 
But, and you can correct me if you have a differing opinion, but I remember, this is going to sound shallow at first, but like for To All the Boys I've Loved Before... I just love that movie in general, but what I also loved about it was like, okay, we have an Asian female lead, but like her being Asian, it was like part of her identity, but it wasn't like, oh, this is part of a conflict of like, oh, she's dating outside of her race or like people don't accept her because of this. It's like, no, we can just have a lead who's a minority and it not be like a huge thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like the ideal thing, right? Where I don't want to speak for all POCs, but I feel like it'd be dope to just be judged on the content of her character and mm-hmm. not necessarily skin, you know, uh, and yeah. have stories just about, oh, this person is lovable or hateable. Oh, and they happen to be Asian. They happen to be black. Mm-hmm. They, but, you know, like it's not, oh, all black people are, are gangsters and not all Asian people are the calculator people in the back, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it'd be mm-hmm. great to have have that. And I think, yeah, to your point of to all the boys I love, like that is where I see the future of, the medium going. And I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of nominations have been going out recently. And I think I read some comments were like, oh, so people can only be nominated if they're black or ethnic. Like, that's really? what people want. Like, because that's what people are always like, oh, Oscar's so white. This is so white. So the, the contrary thing is like, well, you know, so that means in order to the only people that are allowed to win are diverse people. But what we're really trying to say as POCs is just like, it's not just that the character needs to be a POC. It's just like, oh, a character can be a person of color that is just like a normal character. That yeah. it's not a it's not about the color. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like it's a it's a character. He happens to look black. He mm-hmm. happens to look white. You know, I think Fahrenheit four fifty one like comes to mind with like Michael B Jordan. It's like yeah. no one thought that that would be a thing, but like Michael B Jordan is like, yeah, fuck it, I'm gonna do that. Yeah. And it's, it's super cool. It is really cool. Slowly so, but surely. Yeah, there's progress. And I think it's happening mm-hmm. uh, right before our eyes. And I think uh, I have hope and I think it's going to be solid. So, yeah, we'll see. I feel like, okay, so after Oscar is so white and that movement, did you see a notable shift or was it kind of this shift is already kind of happening? I think there's definitely a noticeable shift after that. And even like, I'll speak even more specifically for like Asian American content, I think like after Crazy Rich Asians, mm-hmm. there's definitely like, I was a benefactor, I think on a lot of that of, oh shit, like Asian people are willing to spend money on on content, you know? Mm-hmm. And so let's buy more stuff. So then you had a bunch of, I think like four or five shows on the broadcast level that were like picked up to be like, oh, you know, this is like an Asian show, right? And mm-hmm. so and it was great. It was awesome. But like that, Needs to keep going, you know, yeah. and like when you look at the um, nominees this year for the Golden Globes and like, you know, the actors and it's like there's sometimes, yeah, where you question like, is there truly like these performances are the best or is it are people voting just based off uh, a comfort level? Yeah, you know, like, I'll oh, say it. Emily and Paris. I, you know, I have friends that have worked on the shows. And I, I, but I apologize. I love you. And I, if you are listening to this, you know who you are. But yeah, I, I do think that there were shows better than that show to be nominated. Um, But Emily in Paris, great show still, you know? But that's where it comes down to it, you know? Uh, Like, I may destroy you. Like, if you just objectively look at these two, Mm -hmm. based on criteria of usually what these nominees are, I may destroy you content-wise and platform-wise and, you know, single lead character Mm development-wise. Like, that's usually what people vote for. But one might argue that it's uncomfortable for some of the older voters because 
it's not as familiar, maybe. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, like not only having a black female lead, but also the content and the nature of the content and the fact that she's someone who maybe for people who are more ingrained in the industry, like, I guess, you know, she might be more known, but I think to the public, she's lesser known. For sure. So a lot of factors there. Yeah. But check that show out. Check Chewing Gum out. She kills it. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of diving back into what the demographics of the writer's room are like. Yep. How does that impact your dating life? Or how did it impact your dating life? Because you're off the market. But, like, back in the day, you know, like, would you meet a lot of people in your field? Like, for example, you said Family Guy. It was, like, 25 guys. And we all had butt sex. (laughs) So you just really got very comfortable with each other. You can't write together until you Until you get initiated. Uh, It's just a big (laughs) circle. And everyone's just, it's your time to (laughs) cha-cha. No, um, yeah, I... I will say, like, before being with Dini, obviously, just in any industry, when you're when you're coming up in your young 20s and all this stuff, of course, you, like, you're going to have hot people that you work with. And mm-hmm. it's going to be, like, oh, man, you know, flirty. And, like, these are the people you see 8, 10, 12 hours a day, 14, 16, depending on the shows, if you work on shows like I did. But for me, at least, I, I tried to be very cognizant that, like, because it is entertainment especially is who you know. Yeah. And uh, I try not to shit where I eat. Obviously, it happened a couple times. Shout out <laughs> to the lovely ladies that we had things together before <laughs> that we still work together within our cordial because I do think there's a possibility to be, to be able to hook up and still be mature about it and have a relationship afterwards as yeah. friends. But yeah, I mean, like it's definitely palpable and it's there. But I do think LA is big enough where hopefully, you know, like the people that you're directly working with, like maybe you can avoid yeah. that if you can. Yeah. But unless the chemistry is just so undeniable. Undeniable. Then it's like, you got, if this is the love of your life, you got to go for it. Yeah. Uh, and I know plenty of like writer couples and like writer actor couples, mm-hmm. actor actor couples that have done well. And, you know, me personally, I don't like that. And I, for my dating life, just because one entertainment's so up and down that mm-hmm. my Asian mind is that <laughs> I, I want someone, I want to date someone that is like steady. Yeah, <laughs> I totally. So get that. I, because I, I might make zero dollars this year, I might make X amount of dollars this year, mm-hmm. but like if my significant other can hold it down, like I am so thankful. Yes, uh, if we're both on down years, then it's like, ah, oh, shit, you know, that's tough. it's really tough. Uh, so that's just me. Um, I know other people like that risk and that challenge, but yeah, so that's why for me, I kind of like, like to try to date outside of entertainment or just mm-hmm. someone who enjoys entertainment, but yeah. not necessarily, you know, is deep in it like I am. Yeah. So. I, so having an immigrant parent, when I remember there was one time where I met this guy, I like went to brunch and he was a waiter. Where'd you guys go to brunch? It was at Superba. I'll call it mm-hmm. out. And I... Great place. So great. So great. And so I'd just come from a workout class. I was like, I didn't look good. And so I remember he like put his hand on my back during brunch and I was like, ew, like I feel really bad for him. I'm probably still kind of sweaty, whatever. So we're leaving and he like grabs my shoulder and he like, he's like, I, I don't usually do this, but like I had to just ask you out before, before you left and ask if I could get your number and take you out sometime. So... I told my mom this because I was just like, how flattering. Like, that's so exciting. He was very handsome. Mm -hmm. 
And in addition to being a waiter, he was an actor. Sure. So I tell my mom and she asks all the like immigrant mom questions of like, well, what does he do? You know, it's <laughs> like the first thing. And I told her that and she got so mad. She was like, you can't date a waiter actor. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this per- he like owns a home, yeah. you know, <laughs> like it's, it's fine. But she was just like, no, that's unacceptable. Yeah. I didn't even think about it from the other side. See, I was always like, oh, yeah, it'd be so dope to date someone with a steady job. But the steady job person doesn't necessarily want to date me. <laughs> it wasn't you know? me. I will say it. That was my mom. Like, if I brought him home, I don't yeah. know that she would have accepted it. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I totally get that. And uh, you immigrate here to, to make money, not to have an artist child, for sure. <laughs> Seriously, or yeah. Artist child in law. So what happened with that guy? Did you guys... We went on one date mm-hmm. and then he went home for a funeral and was like, I'll hit you up when I get back. And I never heard from him again. Oh, I know. What could have been? And my mom probably like called him and was like, don't you dare speak to my daughter Maybe it was again. his funeral. Maybe her mom came. <laughs> oh, oh my God. She yeah. called out a hitman. Yeah. Damn. Well, Damn. I'll never know. I'll have to go back to Superbo one day and see <laughs> if he's there. Yeah. Immigrants, they get the job done. <laughs> they truly do. Especially Jamaican immigrants. Like oh, they get shit. all the jobs done. All the jobs done. Yeah. Damn. Um, so did you ever date someone who was in the creative field or are you just kind of steered away from it altogether? I definitely dated people in the creative field. I mean, I can't deny that. Yeah. I mean, it, and again, like there are those hoops and ladders that you have to go through. And I think dated is like a loose term, right? Like, oh, do you guys hook up? Are you guys seeing each other? Mm-hmm. Are you guys like exclusive? Right. I don't think I never got to a point of like, oh, like this is this is my girl. I am heterosexual. Um, you know, this is my girl. I, I, I love her and this is what it's going to be in like mm-hmm. um, with someone in entertainment. But yeah, there's moments where, you know, the lines get blurred. It's like, oh, we're on the same studio mm-hmm. lot. Like, you know, oh, hey, what's up? Like, you know, what are you doing here? And it's like, <laughs> oh, uh, I was just here to visit you. Oh, we're not like that, oh, you know? Yeah. And so uh, oh, there's plenty of fun stories. But there's more, I, I think like, well, we we talked about earlier, like the online dating stories are probably a, a little bit more interesting and funny than like, because with entertainment dating, I, I again, it's more like, at least especially for me, I mean, it's like black or white. It's like, is this a yes or a no? Because mm-hmm. obviously there's a bunch of creepers in entertainment. And uh, wait, what do you mean? I don't know. The people that just like jerk off into plants as they look at, uh, you know. Wait, so is that something that you obviously, I mean... I don't know, maybe you have experienced it where someone has, like, jerked off looking at you. But, I mean, is it something where you have had, like, first-hand accounts of people being like, this has happened to me, like, this person did X thing that made me feel uncomfortable? Totally. I think because entertainment is so much of a person, who do you know, there is definitely gray areas where Mm -hmm. you're alone in this trailer together. Like, you know, you're doing these other things, like, you know, that's why, at least for me, like, I try to maintain a professionalism like yeah. a friendship level that like okay this is cool like not trying to cross any lines and mm-hmm. and out of you know if harvey weinstein is the one in the spectrum to like realize okay there is a line like air on the side of not harvey weinstein yeah yes uh and so i think there is like a a way to be able to be friendly with people and to date in this industry without like having it be a, oh, if you hook up with me, you're going to get this one job. You know, mm-hmm. like there's definitely ways to be less slimy about it. So, yeah, I, I forgot what the question was, but we're... Initially about dating within the industry. And you mentioned that you just had to have those boundaries be very black and white, which that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 
And hearing you recount that, I feel very naive saying like, really? Because I think we just work in such different areas of entertainment. I thought you were being sarcastic, to be honest. I thought you're like, oh. I think it's like, it's not that I don't know it doesn't happen. But I guess like, I never really thought about it happening on like your side and like the writer's side of things. I guess I always, you always think about it in terms of like the casting couch and like all of that stuff. What's that? <laughs> I mean, if you would like to provide a definition. Oh, you, can, you can provide that one. I'm going to sip this as Hefeweizen. Well, I have not experienced this. My side of the entertainment industry and like also my personal experience, I have to say I've been really fortunate. So I've never encountered any creepers directly. And it's nothing that is so scandalous or like so questionable morally. But I do know someone who used to work for an agency. And yeah, she said that for her particular role, there was a period where she had more experience and she was up for a promotion. The other woman that was up for a promotion had significantly less experience. And the person who was, you know, making the hiring decision basically put it on the table. It's like, whoever sleeps with me oh my God. will get this position. And Jeez. she was like, fuck that, and left. And I think she didn't even leave right away. But she stayed to see that woman get the promotion. And then she eventually left. Did and she it, confront the woman and say, yo, did you, did you do it? You know, I actually don't know. I, I'm not sure. She made it seem like she did, but I don't know if it was like a direct acknowledgement. Sure. But it's just, it is crazy to think about. And like for her, she's not, I don't think she's really that much older, but like I know that was earlier in her career. So I was like, you know, maybe that's something that happened like a decade ago, but like less so today. So let me ask you this question. This is flipping it on its head. Like, is there a, is there an empowerment element to being like, hey, you know what? Like if you are totally owning your body, you realize I want to do this. Like I, my ultimate goal is to be the most successful person. And if sleeping with this person, it, I can't even say this question. This is, I'm trying to make it seem like, oh, like if like someone might be a positive, like, I yeah, understand but it's, it's not even, it's not, I can't even phrase it. Like, wow, I, I tried, I tried to like yeah. lawyer that one and I, I can't even yeah. get myself to do it. So yeah. That's, okay. it's, that's tough. And I'm sure there are some people for whom it isn't a big deal. So I right. get what you're saying. If you're just like, all right, this is what it takes. Like, I don't care. Right. Like I'm a consi- like they didn't force her to do it. For you sure. know, it's still obviously not okay because it's an abuse of power, right. but I could see where you're like, well, if I don't really care, then I'll do what it takes. Yeah. But I think it's the power element that yeah. really is the, is the line. And mm-hmm. if it's two like equal level people, then sure like you know there's there's a a way more grayer but like it's that abuse and it's that if you don't do this one thing for me you can't get it and obviously that needs to stop and i'm I'm glad for the me too movement obviously it's mm-hmm. just i've seen even in my time you know which is you know just about a decade now i've seen a a change and mm-hmm. things were way even shadier when we first started you know like there yeah. things got I used to work at an agency and, and things were said that wouldn't be allowed to be said today, you know? Yeah. And so I'm, I'm glad for the, the culture change because yeah, it, it went on for too long, but here we yeah. are. You know? I know. I'm glad that we've been able to come of age in a world where we are seeing this positive change. Right. It's really great. No, it's definitely different. I mean, I, it's been cool being able to say that I've done both like work with a bunch of dudes and then also work with a bunch of ladies. Yeah. And it's interesting because, yeah, the, even me, you're saying that I can 
chameleon kind of in my way into these different rooms. And you do have to like change your, the way you think, the way you kind of obviously say things to fit in with the crowd, right? Maybe that goes to our, you our know, type three, type three <laughs> uh, listen to the anagram podcast with Leslie. Yes. Um, Why am I like him. this? Yeah. But yeah, like it, there's definitely different mindsets and different ways to go about it. But yeah, it's interesting. It is. It is. So you kind of alluded to something that I wanted to dive into further. You were saying that the Tinder stories and the online dating stories, those are the more interesting ones. And even though we've been friends for years, I don't know these stories. (laughs) I feel like before you got a girlfriend, your dating life was so mysterious, at least for me. So I'm excited to hear a little bit about that and a little bit about your persona when you were that single guy in the writer's room. For sure. And I think... If I'm being honest, like some of my friends are like, oh, Kyle's being shady again when it comes to talking about girls. It's, it's more because I do like to keep my like private life private, mm-hmm. um, mainly because, you know, there just gets a lot of times where it, it like when you don't have something or you do really like someone and like it just gets blown in proportion when like external factors are brought in. Yes. So it's just like, you know, I'd rather just like I want it to be a conversation between me and this person. Mm-hmm. But yeah, dating life in LA, especially online dating and swiping is uh, super fun. It's like the best. <laughs> it's uh, so great. It's totally not like a video game. And you're totally not just continuously swiping right to see who you can get with, you know. There's no paradox uh, of choice at all. No, you, the world is your oyster, you know, like you can do whatever. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's. It's interesting because I do feel like, well, there's a couple ways to do it. How do I want to even get to this? Like the more somber kind of thing. I do feel like as an Asian man, statistically, not swiped right on a lot. Statistically, black women as well. I talked to my friend Jonathan about this very thing. Like there was that whole, I think it was an OkCupid study that Mm -hmm. they did where it showed, yeah, like these are the least desirable people. Right. that sucks like it's even if you kind of know it in the back of your head it sucks to see it quantified and confirmed oh it's insane like i have believe it or not i have white guy friends and they uh i'll be honest like i have some really attractive ones and then some of my guy friends are just mediocre Mm -hmm. and then we we look we compare things and i think yes i said i'm fat and ugly really but i do think (laughs) i'm not true i'm a little bit better looking than most and and just the fact that I can write and have a conversation and hopefully levels me up. But like I'd compare with this like mediocre guy who has no personality and like easily he had way more matches just because Mm -hmm. I do feel like there is a desire to like be with a white man, you know, Mm -hmm. and versus like, oh, this dude's an Asian. Like the qualifications to be like a suitable person as like a black female or Asian man was like, oh, not only do you have to be hot, you have to have a great job. You have to do these other things. And it's like, okay, that's fine. And like, obviously I strive to be that. But at a certain point, you know, it's kind of like, oh, well, uh, you should like maybe meet first and just give it a try. But Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people you know are you more picky when you're swiping because Mm -hmm. you can choose your your paper list first and like Mm -hmm. who am i actually going to meet up with like if they don't match everything on paper am i going to give them a shot yeah and so i think a lot of people for asian men at least if you know date in when dating men probably write off asian dudes because it's like you know i don't want to deal with like bringing an asian dude home and like having to deal with all the other stuff and so you know which totally if that's your family that's cool but i think you know obviously for black women and Asian men, give us a shot. Yeah, you know? we're great. Yeah. But yeah, it's super fun dating in LA. And 
yeah, you get into weird things because LA <laughs> has a lot of a lot of funny people. Yeah, I was just gonna go ahead and say weird, but yeah, funny. Yeah, people. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I try to find the joy in those weird people. Yeah, it's at least a good story. Yeah, like I I I went on this date with this one girl who I think you know what plan check is, right? It's yeah, like yeah. A burger spot. So, well, first and foremost, she's like, oh, I live in downtown. And it's great. It's awesome. She's like, oh, I'll come to the West Side, though. Like, it's fine. I'm like, oh, that's so nice of you. Uh, Let's meet at this plan check, right? Mm -hmm. Gave her the address and, like, plan check, Santa Monica or whatever, right? And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, cool. Turns out she ended up going to the plan check in Sawtell. (laughs) Of course. Right? And I'm like, oh, it's cool. Just meet me at this one, right? The Santa Monica one. And she's like, okay, cool. Sorry. And when she gets there, she goes like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not, like, from here because I really live in Garden Grove. (gasps) What? And I'm like, what? The no. Fuck? Like, why did you tell me that you were living downtown? Or like, why is your profile no so downtown? She was so accommodating. Yeah, she because she was like a lot of people just put L.A. as their thing so they can date and maybe trap someone that lives in L.A. to yeah. like have some more place to stay in L.A. to go out in. And yes. so that girl was funny because she used the word frequent like I counted like forty three times <laughs> at that date. And so oh my gosh, that sucks i okay i had that happen to me but i matched with this guy he said he lived in beverly hills and so he's like planning this date for after work and he was like let's meet in long beach and i was what? like excuse me like i'm coming from glendale it'll yeah. take me two hours yeah. and i was like that's pretty far and he's like oh i'm coming from orange county and i was like why? And he's like, well, I live in Orange County, but I'm going to be moving to Beverly Hills. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, that's ridiculous. That's funny. It does seem like in LA, there's a lot more like fakers mm-hmm. here, like like trying to live this LA lifestyle yeah. that like, want, it's like just live your lifestyle. Like, yeah. It's like be who, like who you're supposed to be with. A lot of people do like, oh, I live in Sweden, but I'm swiping in LA because I'm yeah. going to be there in two months. It's yeah. like, why are you preemptively... Yeah, like, Swiping. do you need to get someone on the hook before you move? Like, yeah. why can't you just let it happen naturally? Maybe they're planners. Maybe they're trying to make Apparently. sure it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. My gosh. Well, do you have any other standout stories that were, I don't know, indicative of dating in Los Angeles? I'll tell the one that I told you earlier. It was my hardest no. We were, we were talking about, like, oh, what's the hardest, like, just most direct someone's been. And a story was, I... I think I was like 24, 25 at the time. I did match with an older woman. She was like 29, 30, maybe in her low, mid, fifth, 30s even. But we're like, you know what? Let's go on a hike. I was like, fuck yeah, let's mix it up. Let's do it. You know, mm-hmm. like we went on a hike. It was a nice up and back. And then as we, you know, we have a great conversation and come back. And as we like get to the bottom of the, the hill, she goes like, well, clearly we don't have any chemistry. <laughs> Uh, but it was nice. It was nice to get to know you. Maybe we can stay friends. I'm like, oh, like, you know, I, yeah, I didn't think it was great. Like going in for the kiss. You know, like, well, the whole stuff right there. Yeah, it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't like the best fireworks, but like, you know, like maybe not day number two. I don't know. I was like, but then, you know, at the end of the day, I was like, I respect that. Cause mm-hmm. like, I think that I would rather, if you know that we're not a match, I'd rather know them than like having the little, you know, dosy do around like, oh, mm-hmm. maybe we could do it. Da, da, da. Like, yeah. you know, and to our confrontation averse element, mm-hmm. it's it is a nice thing to just be able to look someone in the eye and be like, hey, you know, this isn't gonna work out, but I do respect you. It's a talent to be able to like tell someone in their face that like 
you suck, but also you're okay. Yeah, it's really an art. And anyone who has listened to this podcast extensively knows that's like not really my vibe. Not because I don't lead people on, but it's more like me second guessing myself and being Mm. like, oh, well, you know, they were okay. And like, maybe the attraction will grow and I should give it a second date. And then like a second date turns into a third. And I've definitely gotten a lot better about that. But I too respect that woman, not only for being able to say it up front, but like being able to say it to your face, Mm -hmm. because it's a lot easier to relay feedback like that after you've gotten home and you're just like texting them. Totally. I was gonna ask you that kind of made me think like, is there like a percentage in your head where like, okay, like, you know, like, for this person to be a boyfriend to me like we have to match and like have a connection like 80 percent of the time or is it like a hundred percent like what level are you like okay i'm down to like commit to this person wow that's a great question and i've never tried to quantify it i think with the last two people i dated this is a very like loose term so it's the opposite of what you're kind of getting at in terms of a percentage but what I noticed with both of those people is that I felt like I could be myself with them mm-hmm. pretty early on. And that was huge. I think especially coming out of a relationship where that wasn't necessarily the case 100% of the time. So I hate to say it, but it's more like a vibe of like, mm-hmm. okay, do I feel comfortable around this person? Am I attracted to this person? Because I will say there are people who I've dated and on paper, they're great. You know, maybe at the end of a first date. And attractive, meaning like sexually attractive or attracted or like, okay. Sexually, like there has to be sexual chemistry because there have been people where it's like, I'll meet them and I'm like, yeah, you are an attractive person, you know, and I go to the date. I should be attracted to them. Maybe it's like the second date and they like lead in for the kiss. Maybe the third date, it's like a makeout. And I've had those times where I'm like, I'm really not into this. There is no reason why I shouldn't be, but I'm just not. And that for me, I think is a non-starter. Like once you get to that point, because I mean, I would like to think it can grow, but I think if you're just like, oh, I'm not into it, it's probably a lost cause. Right. Well, that's what hiker girl did to me. She just knew no sexual chemistry, period. She didn't even give it like one kiss. I know. It's okay. Yeah. It's fine. She knows what she wants. I'm happy now. (laughs) So... You know, now that you, you clearly, your career is really important to you. Hmm. Do you feel like there was a period of time when you were super career focused and not dating? Like where it kind of like felt like dating might get in the way or was it something you were always able to balance? For sure. I think, I mean, career has kind of always been, I mean, entertainment's so goddamn hard, you know, like it's so hard to make any noise and like you have to kind of have to dedicate yourself to the like I was a PA and a writer's assistant that literally like would have to be on set for like 14 hours a day and like print out pages and just be on call like ready to do so so like mm-hmm. that takes a lot out of your social life you know so yeah there's definitely times I think just by the nature of my job I could not physically date and it would be I really like this girl that we matched on Tinder or whatever, but like, you know, trying to set up a date was hard because like, I don't know when I'm off. Like, I don't know if yeah. I can be at this bar at seven. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was a mix of a little bit of destiny of like, okay, well, if it's meant to be, then it's meant to be and like, you know, and then we can hopefully make it work. And if they're interested enough, even despite this crazy work schedule and we can still maintain like a relationship, then that's great. But yeah, there, I mean, there definitely were times where not even by, I would probably try to date, but it just like, because of work, I could not, but that's just, you know, me, I chose 
I chose job over the ladies. Yeah. Um, I would love to insert like a great rap lyric here. Oh. But. Like, You're going to think of it and then it's going to be. Oh. Be you can do a, the Drake lyric. It's money over. Oh my God. I couldn't think of it. <laughs> this is really embarrassing it's for us. It's money over. Because <laughs> money's under nothing. My life is such a blur. That's it. If yeah. you Google that, you'll find it. Yeah. 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 There you go. There yeah, you go. Fine. So. Did you ever encounter women where, like, that became an issue? Like, where you were trying to date them, you wanted to prioritize them, but, like, they just could not understand your lifestyle and, like, why you weren't able to commit to that? Absolutely. And I think, like, that's to your point of, like, oh, yeah, it's easier to date someone in entertainment who understands it. But I do think there's people out there that can have a appreciation of entertainment and mm-hmm. what you're getting. Like, I think nurses have a crazier schedule than some entertainment people. Mm-hmm. And so it was, I, I remember dating some nurses where it was like, oh, yeah, like, we can some buy nurses. You know, some How many nurses, nurses did you it's meet? Fine. It's cool. Like nurses oh, are awesome. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, there's definitely some girls that I've dated that could not understand. Like, I don't get it. It's seven p.m. Like, why are you at work? Like, what is? <laughs> you know, like there's some times on set. Like, we shoot from four p.m. to five a.m. You know, and it's like, okay, like I'm up and awake randomly at three a.m. and Van Nuys like shivering in the fucking cold trying to print out pages for someone, you know, and like that's just the job. And so yeah. I think it's, for me at least, like dating someone that's empathetic enough to understand that, but also vice versa, mm-hmm. making sure that I'm empathetic to their lifestyle and making sure that, you know, like, oh, if, if they need these needs to be met, then, and I can't provide that being upfront too, yeah. you know, and vice versa. So. Yeah. Yeah. It takes, it definitely takes some like awareness because I can't imagine someone really being like, what? You're not free at seven o'clock. Like in no matter what field you, well, some fields, you know, you do have your hard time that you're off the clock. But I think in most fields, you have times where like, shit's going to come up. Like, my job is not as demanding, but I've definitely had to- like one time in particular, I remember, I just got pulled into something and this guy waited like 45 minutes to an hour for me to show up to a date. Aww. And I was like, I feel so bad. It was such a good first date too. And then Aww. after the first date, he's like, by the way, I have a kid. And I was like, oh. I was going to say like, oh, then what happened then? Yeah, no, it was really great. I was so excited. And I don't know, no shade to anyone who is a single parent. That's fine. Yeah. I was just not. It's a lot. It's tough though. It's yeah. tough to date as a single parent. And yeah. especially as someone like, uh, we don't have kids, mm-hmm. but like, to date, I, it definitely crossed my mind. Like, and I met some fantastic women that had kids. Mm-hmm. And it's like, am I ready to be a father? It, yeah. You know, is a question that when you date in LA kind of has to be answered. And you got to draw those lines. And I'll be honest, like, at some point I was like, yo, she's dope enough that like, it's Aww. worth it to be that obviously didn't work out. Because ultimately at the end of the day, I do think like, you know, I do want to be a father. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know where I'm going with this, but. Yeah, no, it's just a lot to consider. And it's like, not only just, oh, do they have a child? It's also like the co-parenting aspect. Like, what's the relationship dynamic? Like, their ex is always going to be a part of their life. So, it's just a lot. And I was not ready to take that on, which is too bad because we shared a great kiss in the rain at the end of that date. Wow. Yeah. Earlier talking about, like, how you like, oh, the cute story, like, matters. Do you think, like, that... If you have a cute story, does that elevate a relationship in your mind? Unfortunately, yes, it does. And I don't think that's right because the story doesn't matter. Like how you meet someone doesn't necessarily matter at the end of the day. Hmm. But, you know, like I will, without getting too deep into it, you know, like there was one relationship I had. I feel like I made a lot of concessions because 
you know, we had a history. And so even beyond it just being like, oh, it would be like cute to tell the story of like, we met so long ago and like we kept coming back, blah, blah, blah. You also, I think, make concessions for people that you might not if you don't have that history that like right. just kind of gives the relationship a falsified sense of importance over like some others. That is very true. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Everyone right now is thinking about that person. Your first kiss. Your first slow dance. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Room. Yeah. Yeah. Have a moment. Have a moment to yourself and just ruminate on that. Well, okay. Speaking of how you meet people, mm-hmm. you're in a relationship. Yeah. How did you enter this relationship? How did you meet your girlfriend? Sure. I want to hear all of it. We met at this really cool bar called Hinge. <laughs> uh, we both swiped on each other. Yeah, liked each other. Who liked who first? I believe she keeps saying that she liked me first. Mm. Uh, but I think that is how it works and i forget i mean it's been so long since i've been dating up what a a flex but yeah i'm so fucking cool um (laughs) like she matched liked a photo of mine and then Mm -hmm. like i commented back you know so i think that's how it like kind of went and then so it's so i messaged first for the record Mm -hmm. um and just kind of went back and forth and kept going i know it's weird it's like having textual chemistry is like also a real thing uh, 100%. Like, I know I, some people like like to wait a couple hours before doing stuff, but then like... If, you lose you the know, momentum. Right. There's momentum. There's also like, are you a person that like does big paragraphs, like multiple Ooh, sentences, yeah. or are you a person that goes like sentence per text, right? It's like yeah. all Which that shit matters. I'm more of a paragraph person because I think, I mean, just my weird writer sense mm-hmm. is just like, I'd rather have like a nicely like written thing that is concise and has all my thoughts than like, like rapid firing like off like these thoughts that I have and then I'm regretting like fuck I should have sent that <laughs> unless it's Instagram which has an unsend feature which is huge uh, that's like so awkward though what unsending like, yeah because the person still knows but they don't know I remember I saw a preview of this guy who slid into my DMs and Ooh. I it's not like an ooh story like I had matched with him on an app we like added each other on Instagram before we met which I will never do again and he was very weird and very aggressive and Literally, I matched with him three years ago, and he slid into my DMs like two months, like, no, he two slid into my- Two months ago? Two months ago. And I saw the preview of him, and I was like, what? And then by the time I, like, opened it, it was gone, but I was like, I saw enough of a preview to be like, this is weird, and he yeah. had sent me some, like, meme, and then he, like, clearly thought- But I think that's, like, c- context, too, right? It's just also, like, this guy is- co- He probably- <laughs> was drunk did something like just did did a stupid thing like impulsive thing mm-hmm. they like, oh fuck i shouldn't have done that mm-hmm. uh but there's times like if you're t- actually talking to someone it's like oh yeah like yeah, i meant to put this kind of joke it's or, that's like, true you can edit and yeah that's that's different than just a straight unsend yeah uh so we met it was cool had great text chemistry and then she ghosted me what? Uh, yeah, she went to Tomorrowland and said, "Oh, yeah, I'll do. I'll like talk to you when I get back." Wait, Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland is a festival in uh, Europe. Uh, That's like wow, equivalent, I guess, of there of Coachella. Okay, uh, but it's even bigger than Coachella, numbers wise and stuff like that. And so. I was reading between the lines, like, okay, this is it. That's like, I'm never going to see her again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, and then she finally comes back and, like, you know, texts, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, like, you know, it's been crazy because she was moving, too, at mm-hmm. that time back into L.A. So, she's like, oh, I'm back if you want to, like, finally meet up and do oh. something. And I was like, oh, shit. I was trying to ghost you and it didn't work. <laughs> but we ended up meeting up and then 
you know, it was just a little bit first sight, you know, uh, but it was a great first date that I totally have not done with any other girl uh, in L.A. And yeah, just it just worked out. And I think it's one of those where like if you have that chemistry and I, and I think, you know, for people out there trying to date, like it was I didn't like pursue like, oh, like, oh, she's for sure the one. It was mm-hmm. just kind of I think I was at a place in my life where I was, you know, happy with my career, happy with myself mm-hmm. and being able to like just be able to share that with someone, just be myself, yeah. you know, and not worry about do they like me? Am I am I appearing happy enough? Am I appearing funny enough? Am I yeah. appearing this enough? You know, it's just like, oh, I was just able to let us chill. And I know it's easier said than done, but it just was at, at that place in my life. And I think she was at a place in her life too. And, and it kind of just matched. And I definitely was not, you know, sorry, Dini, I was not like immediately like, oh, she's the one from our text. You know, it's just mm-hmm. to kind of like slowly like develop up. into that, into that moment. So what did you do for your first date? Oh, mine. It was so <laughs> sick. So she moved here from London. So she hadn't lived in LA. So took her to a place on the west side called Shangri-La. Oh uh, my God. That's her, such a good first date know, spot. Right? Wow. I take notes, people. So you can see the Santa Monica Pier from that place. And especially pre-COVID times, it's nice. You can go out there. There's nice heated lamps. It's nice. You know, drinks are they're a little pricey. bit more expensive. But, but you nice know, drinks. But it's, yeah, it's good. You're also not trying to like, it's a first date. You're not trying yeah. to black out there. You're not yeah. trying to like hammer down a four or five. You know, you're just first nice, easy one. Get to know the person is quiet enough to actually talk and mm-hmm. get, you know, continue to talk. But then after that, I kind of was like, oh, you know. So I, I live kind of by Sawtell area just for everybody that's listening. And uh, I was like, oh, you, do you want to grab something to eat afterward? And she's like, oh, oh, for sure. And Aww. this is where we kind of bonded because it's like, oh, we have a, both have a love for food. And, mm-hmm. and for anyone that knows me or follows me on Instagram, or whatever, like knows like I fucking love food. And so I'm like, okay, there's this dope place on Sawtell called Kira Sushi. And it's like a revolving sushi bar. And fun oh, yeah, that f- place is great also. Yes. And so fun fact oh, about wow. that place is that there is an app that you can go and like reserve your spot online because there's usually like a mm-hmm. two hour wait. Mm-hmm. But if you if you have the app and you are like about two hours out from when you want to eat, you can just put your name in line and then you're kind of ready to go. So I kind of like, as I was like, oh, this date's going pretty well. Like she's pretty dope. Da, 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 da. I kind of like timed it. So I was like, okay, okay that's boom. so smooth. Yeah. This is great come, LA date intel. This is, this is how you do it, you know? <laughs> and then, so did it, put my name in, oh, like, casually. To, of course to her, it's like so casual, but for <laughs> yeah. me, I'm like freaking out inside. I'm like, oh my God, we got one, one hour, 30 minutes. Blah, blah, blah. But then I was like, okay, it's about two hour window. Okay. If I catch, oh, what if we go to this place? Like, you know, she's mm-hmm. like, oh, I love sushi. I'm like, great. Perfect. We go and it's super fun because it's revolving sushi. And this is again, pre-COVID times, which is crazy thing about that. Sushi just was on a plate that <laughs> moved around on the train. You can just grab it. And then when you're done, you get your dirty ass plate and you slide it down, <laughs> shoot. And then it gives you points and stuff. Oh, what a time. Yeah. And then, so we did that and it was fun. It's a fun first day too. It's cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy and it's like, oh, it's no harm, no foul. And then that went well. So I was like, oh, wow. I just, just happened to live like a couple streets <laughs> down. Do you want to like stop by and like watch? Because we've talked about The Office a lot. You want to watch The Office? Really? There? I mean, that all just speaks to how smooth you are. Oh, no. Not smooth. It was... I don't know. I think so. I I think I can't speak for every woman, but I feel like a lot of women are not like 
they're not going to go to a guy's place on the first date usually. And it's like, that takes a lot for them to be like, yeah, I feel comfortable enough with this guy to do that. And I want to keep hanging out with him. And it was definitely not like an, I was not intending to be, Oh, I want to bring her home. Like I genuinely was like, Oh, Kira would be fun. And then anyone also in LA knows like, yeah, it's also kind of easier to get home, (laughs) you know? But at that time the date went well. And I think that's a testament to like Danny is that it was like, Oh, it was great. Like, I'm going to just throw this out there. If she wants to come over, great. And I think it just worked out that way. And it did. And then had our first kiss there. And, you know, it was fantastic. That's so nice. So you mentioned that clearly it was a great first date. I guess this is kind of a larger question about what type of date are you? Like, are you talking to other people? Are you still thinking about talking to other people? Or are you the type of dater who's like, oh, if I like someone, I'll just continue to see it through and won't talk to someone else until I decide I don't like them? Yeah, I think it definitely matters on the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I think with Dini specifically, it was very clear like, oh, yeah, like, let's just from this point kind of like commit to her and just like see how this goes out but there's definitely other first dates like you know frequent girl or plan check girl or <laughs> you know hiking girl where it's like if we did go on another it's like oh well that was nice but we're gonna figure each other out and like mm-hmm. i'm still gonna be swiping at these times just because it's you know i think everyone is trying to protect their hearts and protect themselves and you know hedge their bets and so yeah i think it depends on the person but generally i would I would love to be a more committed person that's like, oh, yeah, this is right. But again, like most of the time, I, I know a lot of the girls that I dated were like seeing multiple guys at mm-hmm. the time. Just, you know, like I was one of many and yeah. this is like, okay, like that's fine. But like, you know, if we are heading towards a place that like we're more committed, then obviously you, you get there though eventually. Like I think it becomes very clear like, oh, you've been over to my place three out of the five nights this mm-hmm. week. Okay. I think this is more serious. Yeah. You know? And if you'd have a desire to want to see that person. Yeah. So. Yeah. So aside from, you know, you guys having some similar interests or being very like fun, easy to get along with, was there anything that made her stand out in particular that you can recall from previous dates? Oh, everything. No. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it was obviously like from our text, we were able to connect on many things. And I I think it's like the music we, we both bond in, like had very like, like, this is a deep cut, but, like, back in the day, uh, when I was introduced to this one female rapper called Angel Hayes, mm. and it was like, oh, she's... And if anyone is not listening to Angel Hayes, you should. She is a badass female rapper, and just a rapper in general, obviously, but she needs more hype to her name. And then, like, Dini had a fucking picture with her, like, in her Instagram, like, randomly, oh, wow. like, and just, like, knew her. And so, it's, like, a weird, like... That's so funny. Like, I do kind of believe in like a weird like there are like mystical woo-woo shit that sometimes Mm -hmm. like happens and i do think it's like a weird alignment of things where it's like she has a picture of the one like hit like rapper that i was like oh like that this this girl is like who i would love to like see in concert Mm -hmm. and dini kind of would like oh this girl (laughs) and so it's like you know shit kind of i think works out that way if it's meant to be yeah but that her style and honestly just like the ability, like, as we were talking about, like, understanding 
like I'm a very A type OCD type of person and being able to understand like, oh, this is my lifestyle. This is what uh, I have to deal with and her being empathetic to that and and vice versa, versa knowing like, oh, I know that she needs X, Y, and Z. I'm able to provide these things. And it is more complimentary than like competitive and like, mm-hmm. oh, what have you done for me lately? It's like, yeah. it's from the jump. It's always been like, oh, how can I help you? get to where you want to get to and yeah. and when when you have that trust i think with somebody else is nice this is also on like a third my body my soul just left myself and watched me talk <laughs> uh and i'm realizing damn like i sound like such a couple and i realize this is way more about like single people and like and i had to no, like go back i don't like that. i disagree oh, really? i think that the podcast is not to say you're not being coupley because you are you're in a happy relationship that's expected like i would hope that you're able to kind of reflect on all the great elements of your relationship i just think like the podcast is for everyone and so i like to hear from the perspective of people who are perpetually single recently single new, newly in a relationship like mm-hmm married like i just love to hear about all phases and so For sure yeah it's not just about single escapades okay also i asked you know okay okay yeah because i can't say my single escapades really right now you know? that's true that's true it's for like off the air yeah. <laughs> so given that going back to the fact that you know you said you liked this person you saw a future and so you weren't really like dating other people so when you're not dating other people like what does it look like to go from just dating to figuring out if you're exclusive to then making it official? Because I know it differs so much for every person. Yeah. I think for us, it was just mainly kind of like, oh, well, we're committed in the sense of, sorry, I'm trying to, well, I'm trying to see how, how I can explain this. Mm. All I'll say is that I do think Dini. She was at a point in her life, we're the same age. At that point, we were 29-ish, you know, 20. I think we've we've had a healthy share of relationships mm-hmm. and just we're, we're no bullshit. And, and I was like a relief, you know, I think maybe and some people when they date, they sometimes date, they like to date younger, they like to date older, whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like we were at a point where we're both a little bit older in our, you know, 20s and realizing like, oh, I don't have to deal with this like bullshit. Like, you know, if you, if you're real and you want to be with me, like then just fucking say it. So Mm -hmm. I think we're just both, it was so easy a decision to be like, okay, well, if we're going to try it, let's try it. Mm -hmm. And so we tried it and have obviously tried it ever since, but it was, yeah, just the committed part of, you know, just being able to, to say like, yeah, be real and, and not Mm -hmm. like try to mess around and like do those young 20s something stuff where you do like try to like play the field and try to like, Oh, I'm, I'm so into you. I'm so into you. And then go hang out with somebody else yeah. after that, you know? So yeah, no games, no games, you know? And it, it was nice, but I think that comes in time with time and like wisdom and, you know, realizing like, again, belief in yourself and knowing like, okay, this is what I want. And mm-hmm. I think I'll, I'll speak more for guys where it's like a lot of guys always want to like, I want the hottest girl ever, but like, you also realize like you have to commit at some point. And for me, it was, it was a point in my life where I was like, yeah, like I am ready for a relationship. I don't, I'm tired of like going to a club and like talking to this girl and like, yeah, okay. We score, we, we make out and we hook up, but like, I'm, you're still empty inside. Yeah. You know, like you still don't, you still aren't like fulfilled in that. Cause it is a mix of companionship. And it's also like, you know, it's dope having like a friend, you know, that empowers you. So, yeah. 
So I'm going to put you in an awkward position and ask you to just speak for all men right now. Sure. Because there are a lot of guys who, you know, you said you were 29, you were at an age where you feel like you are ready to settle down. And logically, yeah, that's, you know, you've kind of played the field, you've had your life experiences solo, and that makes sense. But there's still those guys who are just like undergoing Peter Pan syndrome. They'd never really get to that point. Sure. From a male perspective, like what inspires you to finally get to that point? Yeah, I think it's, it's different for every guy. I know for sure. It's really like what what are you pursuing? Like there, I may be just beginning to this epiphany now, but I think every guy has a different barometer and different measure of like what they define as success. Mm -hmm. And I think for some men, and and when I mean success, I mean like when you get to reach this point, I feel like I've reached success. So now I can commit to someone long-term for some men. I think it's truly like this obviously will sound sick to a lot of people, but it's how many girls can I, hook up with Mm -hmm. before I am satisfied, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I reached X number. Like, now I'm, like, ready to settle down because I have, like, you know, spread my seed to everywhere else. You know, Mm -hmm. other guys was like, oh, I want to get to a certain level of my career where I know, like, this is now I can, like, focus on, like, I've gotten a place because eventually, like, hopefully everybody, when you're in your career, you, you get to a point where you realize, oh, like, I don't have to work harder all the time. Mm -hmm. I can work smarter. I can work and I have more free time and I can, the work-life balance starts balancing out because like I'm not 23 anymore, Mm -hmm. you know, like I can do these other things. So other guys or it's other things like how many relationships do I need to be in to realize like what I'm looking for and like, you know, am I codependent? Am I not? And so I think each guy is, is different in that sense. But I do think like to reach the point where they are saying, Hey, I'm ready to like commit to this one person because I know for a fact like I'm ready. It, it usually takes like them accomplishing one of those like kind of three avenues before saying, oh yeah, like, you know what? It's time. Mm-hmm. But I think subconsciously, no one's ever like actively thinking, oh, like I need to hook up with 49 women before <laughs> I like am ready to settle down. But it's more, it's a subconscious thing of real, just at a certain point you realize, oh fuck, like, yeah, like, all this shit I'm doing is not fun anymore. With my good friend from UCLA, who is now my lawyer, John Sauer, we we had a fun conversation about things, about life, about growing up. And, you know, we were, we were talking about like, you know, going out, getting blacked out, drinking, and like also like hooking up with chicks and doing all these things. And like his therapist put it in a very interesting way where it was kind of like, you know, at a certain point, like, you know, when you're a kid, you first realize that you're playing with toys. Like there's a mm-hmm. conscious decision that, oh, I'm playing with toys. Yeah. And then you grow up to a point where you realize, oh, I don't want to play with toys anymore because I know that these are just toys. Mm-hmm. And I think with men, that does happen in like a dating real life situation where it's like, oh, like I realize that all I'm doing is going out and getting drunk and like being silly with boys and doing other things. Mm-hmm. Like, don't get me wrong. I love that shit and I still will do that shit. Mm-hmm. But like there is a point where you realize, oh, like, there are other things I want to accomplish than just like constantly going to the whaler and like doing things and blacking out and like regretting it. But, Mm -hmm. but then like not regretting it, you know? So yeah, like everyone's journey is different, obviously, but it's a cool journey to watch and experience. Yeah, it is. It is. And I love the way you put that. It was so eloquent. And I know that 
again, it really does just come down to it's going to differ for everyone. But I think yeah. I love the fact that you reflected on the fact that it's a common theme of like, you just kind of have to reach a certain milestone and realization and whatever that milestone is will vary. But that's kind of what leads you to that, to kind of put that life aside. Is that like that for women? Now you have to speak for all women. Let's go. Yeah. Oh man. Turning the tables. I love it. So I think that for women, like for my, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I know you asked me to speak for all women, but for myself, like, you know, there are some people who are serial monogamists. I was never a serial monogamist. And so early on, I just didn't really like prioritize relationships. Like there were people who I liked and if I liked them, then it's like, oh, I would be interested in dating them. But I just didn't have like some of the dating experience that people might have in high school where it's like... Mm-hmm you have your high school sweetheart and you know what it's like to have a boyfriend kind of. So I never really had that. And so going into college, I was just like, boyfriend, like, I don't know. Like I like a couple people here and there like, Oh, it doesn't work out fine. You know, it wasn't like I'm actively looking to have a boyfriend and I wasn't even really actively looking to have a boyfriend until I got what I would call my first boyfriend. Cause I feel like anything that happened before, like during high school or middle school, obviously is not serious. It doesn't count. So when I was like 23, I just turned 23 and I started dating this person and it was like, okay, I'm like learning what it's like to be in a relationship. Like I'm learning how to communicate because I'm at my core, a very private person, which is pretty ironic now that I have a podcast. It's definitely (laughs) changed over the years, but you know, it was like, I wasn't comfortable opening up about my emotions and things like that. And this person, I will say, I'm grateful because he definitely like guided me through that process and helped me to understand what it was like. And I think after that, it kind of helped me to learn like, okay, well, I can create this great life on my own. And I feel like I've always prioritized friendships and experiences and my career. And that's great. But I you kind of for me, reach a point where you're like, my life is great on my own, but I would love to share those experiences Mm -hmm. with someone. And so for me, I think that's where I'm kind of at right now where I'm like, yeah, like, I'm single at the moment. And I remember like the the year before the lockdown was like one of the greatest years of my life. It was like, I went to Europe. I went to Mexico. Like I bought a condo. Like I like had just gotten this job that I loved, but it's like, yeah, this would be even better if I had a long-term partner who was equally passionate about those things and could share it. So would you me. say, maybe it's not milestones, but it is experience development that it's like, like, would you be at this place if you didn't travel or buy the condo or do these things? Like, would you would you be hap- like ready to share this life with somebody if you didn't do those things on your own? I think I would be, but it would be from a less healthy place. And what I mean by that is like, maybe if I hadn't had all these fulfilling experiences on my own, I'd be like, I want to share my life with someone, but it would be like, I want someone to like make my life whole. Hmm. Whereas now I'm like, well, my life is whole. And I want to share that whole life with somebody else and see what they have to bring to the table. That's huge. That's hella deep. That, I mean, that kind of does remind me, maybe I, we change and modulate the milestone thing to be like it, what the milestones really accomplish is wholeness in oneself. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and some people, yeah, it's, it's how for guys, some guys, how many people can I sleep with? Right. And then mm-hmm. other people, other people are like, how many countries can I travel to? Mm-hmm. You know, we have, a, you and I both have like a bunch of travel friends that love to like, even maybe still since college have not left their, you know, backpacking lifestyle. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, it's an interesting thought that it is maybe a self-fulfillment thing, whatever that is to you before you can be ready to settle down. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We're all learning here. We are. We are. Gosh, it's so fascinating. So I guess 
I want to play a game with you, but before we get into that, I wanted to ask you again, putting you in a great position where you get to just speak for all of a group of people, for anyone listening who might aspire to build a career for themselves similar to what you've built, do you have any advice that you would would like to impart on the audience? Don't do it. No. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I think first and foremost, entertainment and specifically writing, directing is a tough ass field. It is a a field that you're going to be told no so many goddamn times. And this is a little cliche, but if this is what you want to do, it has to be something you, you can't not think about like and i and ever since i was 12 years old this is the only thing i've been thinking about like how do i bet how do i write this joke better how do i frame this better how do i what's the newest technology like i literally sometimes even with like the love you know dini with someone i love and my family like who i love it's just like i'm not there all the time because Mm -hmm. i i half of my mind is thinking about these other things you know these stories and these like way to craft stuff and i and i think like you unfortunately have to be that obsessed with this this lifestyle and this in this art form that you that's what you have for so if you if you don't feel that way i i don't think you should pursue this career mm-hmm. that said if you do have that everyone is different there's three percent of all writer directors and art and filmmakers and stuff like that are like just fucking prodigies like you know they they are meant to do this they're made for this this is their fucking life 97 percent of everybody else is the hard-working motherfuckers that like will just work longer and stay longer than most people and i so i'll speak to that group since i think i lay more into that where so it's it's constantly working on your craft if you want to be a writer write if you want to direct direct very cliche, but at the end of the day, you got to continue on your craft because I think a lot of times people expect like, oh, I'm going to get a manager or agent like, and they'll solve all my problems. But no, like it ultimately lands on you as an individual. You need to be able to write a joke, write a good story and know what good story is. And it's the prep time that when you don't have opportunities that allow you to become a successful person, you know, preparation, success is just when preparation meets opportunity and i and i do think that truly is the case with entertainment because when no one's watching me you know that's when i should be working on these scripts and these film projects and these other things because so many times already in my career that there's been moments where oh do you have this one sample that can you know that fits this one thing that like oh that's so weird like i literally do because this is something i care about a lot and passionate about and it just and you submit it, it fits, and like, boom, you're there. Similar to dating, it's kind of just like when the right time comes, the right time comes, and it's when you are prepared and hit your own milestones in your own personal life that you're ready to maybe share it with somebody else. So mm-hmm. keep working at it, keep striving, and yeah, don't be afraid of no, and just keep meeting as many people as you can because like, you never know who will be able to help you or who you can help too. Yeah. Hopefully I'll say synced, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really helpful and hopefully is inspiring to anyone who's kind of looking to follow the same path. Yeah. So I wanted to close out with a game. Oh, boy. (laughs) And so clearly we've been talking about like a very stereotypical LA industry and Uh it's very obvious that we live in LA simply based on like the restaurants we've referenced. But you're from the Bay Area. And that's a huge part of your identity, too. Yes, sir. So I wanted to play a game that I'm calling Bay versus LA. And it's 
stereotypes of like things you might encounter with women that you meet in LA versus <laughs> in the Bay Area, and you just have to pick one. And you can justify why, oh, but you have shit. to pick one. Oh fuck. All right. The first one. All of her exes have worked for startups or she only dates people who work in entertainment. Ooh. I might go LA girl for this one. Mm-hmm. Mainly because I think if you're someone that's only dating people that have done startups, you're a very like you're into like those bro-y kind of tech bros. Yeah. And that's I, I think that speaks more volumes about that person than I'm not a tech bro. I wanna be a tech bro. That'd be so <laughs> cool. I don't know. I don't know. It'd be so cool. It's a very distinct personality type. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Alright. Okay, so she only wears Birkenstocks or she only wears Stan Smith Adidas. <laughs> oh, shit. Am I an LA person now? <laughs> it happens to all of us. Oh, no. I'm going Stan Smith because I will say, okay, there are a lot of Bay people that wear Birkenstocks, but I do think, you know, I'm from like early 2000s Bay where hyphy, you know, culture was it and like we had our white tees and blue jeans and all that stuff. So I do think that there is like a hip-hop culture that is in the bay that like isn't relevant now Mm -hmm. so this is like the gentrified bay versus like new la but i but i do love me like a girl that can wear fly gear and stan smiths are they're fucking sick they're fly i think for me the only it's not even any shade i never bought them but it's more just like it's basic yeah. <laughs> it is basic. Like everyone wore them yeah. for like that one period. And yeah. I mean still, even now. No, but absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, how you know it's like past trend my my mom did just buy Stan Smith's and like and <laughs> That's how you know. Like, well, my mom is fly, you know. Oh, but I it, believe it. But it's funny that it's it's just like at a point now where like Stan Smith are so quote unquote basic that it's a it's a look that like everyone can like pull off and it makes mm-hmm. you look like younger and cool. It's so know? true. It's like, I'm with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh so my I'm, God. If I pick LA on this one, I'm curious. Oh man, you might, you might, maybe I didn't do a good enough job. No, no, no. Like I, making maybe, them comparable. No, this is bad. I'm just an LA person now. <laughs> my whole identity has shifted. Okay. So these are both kind of like the, the girl who wears athleisure, but on one hand, you have the girl who's like always in Patagonia on the other hand, you have the girl who always looks like she's going to a yoga class, but she's, like, not actually going to yoga class. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Damn. You know, I actually am going to go with the Patagonia girl on this one. Really? Reason being is that I do think, like, I know a lot of those yoga girls in L.A., and obviously... I think a woman in yoga attire is generally always super beautiful. But if someone is constantly wearing that, I do think that there's a a clout chasing ability. And it's more mm. like, for lack of a better word, insta mm. uh versus Patagonia. Girls are a little bit more like subtle yeah. with their flavor. And I, and I like that. That's like, they don't need it. They don't need to like show off. Mm-hmm. All, they got the goods. They don't need to show it off. That's you true. Know? And that's where I like, ooh, that intrigue, that the like, mis- that confidence of knowing like, you know, I don't need, I don't need a fucking flex. Because I got it. I like that perspective because I really did think you were going to say the Lululemon or like yoga. Think I'm basic? No, just because I think t- you bring you bring out a good point. It's like it's it is kind of all out there. So I was like, it's just a more like 
even if you're not like trying to be sexual, like it is a more sexual look. Oh, like yoga pants are just inherently sexual. Who, who am I gonna like accidentally like if in the corner of my eyes see like a girl walking by in Patagonia or like this Lululemon? Yeah, I'm gonna look at the just just because it's like oh like flesh. Mm-hmm. But like <laughs> if I had to choose, it's not like yeah. that's not my preferred person. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the next one. This girl always hangs out in the Mission District and won't leave. It's like anytime mm. you try to go on a date, she's like, no, we're staying here or Los Feliz. And if you want to give a little bit of background about the Mission District sure. for people who don't know. So Mission District in the Bay is like uh, formally a little bit more hood. Like, you know, it's kind of like in the middle of SF and just like, you know, is it your classic like Bay Area gentrification thing where you have a bunch of culture and now it's kind of getting monetize and commodified into you know things that are very interesting and los Feliz obviously is los Feliz, so i am gonna go mission okay. person okay. reason reason why that's my that's my kevin hart is that um there is a an affinity for mission district for me where mm-hmm. it's like i do feel like it's still not gentrified enough to a point where it's like oh this is sick like mm-hmm. everyone that does yeah. still choose to live in mission district like actually has like good intentions yeah hopefully oh, I love that. Yeah. uh and there's like a good enough like they have they have a respect for the san francisco culture which i think like los feliz maybe people don't and just more like i want to go eat at squirrel and uh <laughs> yes. other things like that so okay so the last one Ooh. Anytime you go out with this person, they always ask you know when they're looking at the wine list they're like well is the wine organic Versus the person who, no matter where you are, they will only order a vodka soda or an Aperol spritz. Shit. Fuck. These are the only options? These are the only options. Uh, Organic organic or Aperol spritz and what? Vodka soda. Fuck. So even like at brunch, it's like vodka soda. Yes. I mean, Aperol spritz, I think, is like a, a more acceptable brunch drink. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I drink both of do those they, things. Does but... the organic... See, I'm now I'm getting real nitty I love it. Is, I love it. Is the organic person, like, they only... If the answer is no, it's not organic, they don't drink the wine. They won't. I might have to go my April Spritz vodka yeah. soda girl. Yeah. Because, look, at the end of the day, if, if you can down a vodka soda at brunch, I think that's pretty <laughs> brunch, dope. brunch, yeah. That's pretty dope. And still, like, hold your own, hopefully. You yeah, know, like, like, not like an alcoholic. Sure, sure. And also just, like, yeah, you're not blacked out by, like, noon. Mm-hmm. You know, 1 p.m., sure, if you blacked out. But, like, if you're blacked out at noon, that's unacceptable. The sun has to kind of start its descent before right. you if black out. it's still out. ascending. That's a good rule of thumb, actually. <laughs> if you're blacked out before the sun has not started to descend, then you're you're in trouble. Yeah, you can't be descending while the sun is ascending. I think that's what? a <laughs> wow well this was so great i knew it would be but you exceeded expectations oh, thank, thank you, you so much thank you hopefully it was helpful hopefully it was fun yeah 100 percent. where can people find you uh people can find me at kid Lau on instagram <laughs> and twitter uh, or com. if you need writing directing needs or reach out to my managers whose contact information is on my website wow so so uh, official yeah we're doing it we're just trying to make the world a better place you know mm-hmm. hopefully i can't wait until like 10 years from now where i can be like 
I interviewed Kyle oh, Lau Jesus. on my podcast. And they'd be like, oh, dude, that guy did weird shit. No. He, like, jerked off into plants. No. Yes. He thought no one was looking. Yeah. But... And he was like, and it was weird. It was to, like, the girl that said, is it, can I have a vodka soda? You know? And he's got a weird. Of... And she was, like, wearing a nurse's outfit. Yeah. Was what was that about? Weird. Oh, that was well, crazy. only time will tell which time it takes. <laughs> that happens this body the, save this and just put it on my tombstone or like the legal documents because it's just like that's it honestly either way like no matter which path you take i'll be like can you believe i interviewed kyle that's so true. it's fine yeah <laughs> it's not gonna be neutral i'll tell you that it's either up or more likely down so, uh, ascending or descending i'm blacking out before noon for sure <laughs> that's uh, it's a i've already had three vodka sodas oh man so okay well that's no judgment here it's nighttime Nighttime. Yeah. Well, if you want to find the podcast, you can find it at Interstates and Heartbreak, all spelled out on Instagram. And you can find me at Leslie Nope, L-E-S-L-I-E-G-N-O-P-E. Thanks, Kyle. Woo! Leslie! Interstates and Heartbreak. <laughs> Let's be exclusive. Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.